Hello, friends. Welcome to the In the Whisper podcast. I'm your host, Nita Wilkinson. We all know that life is just plain hard sometimes. Join me each week as I talk to a girlfriend about their journey of overcoming and how it always leads back to Jesus. Welcome back to the In the Whisper podcast. I am super excited to have Michelle Bengston with us. She is a neuropsychologist and she has written two books, Breaking Anxiety's Grip, How to Reclaim the Peace God Promises, and Hope Prevails, Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression. So Michelle has been through this, lived it, and written about it, and overcome it, which is wonderful. Welcome, Michelle. I am so glad you are here. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Any opportunity I get to share hope is a good day for me. I love that. Um, I did want to talk about too because this this impressed me. You write for Lightworkers, which is Roma Downey and Mark Burnett's um, business. It's it's a whole entire business. So I thought that was way cool that you write for them. Um, and you also write for God's Glory Alone Ministries. So you are in a lot of places. You have your own podcast, your own blog. You can find you in a lot of places. And I will put that all in the show notes so you can find her if you want to look her up. So tell me, what made you pick neuropsychology? That's kind of way up there. You know, it, I always wanted to go into a helping profession, and I really couldn't decide between psychology and neurosurgery. <laughs> so being oh, a psychologist marries the brain science with the mental health aspect. Mm-hmm. And so I've spent a career over 30 years diagnosing and treating patients with a variety of medical as well as mental health disorders, everything from depression to traumatic brain injury mm. and dementia in the elderly. Oh, so so you run the full spectrum. And I am sure that when you chose this profession and all those years of treating people, it was kind of surprising for you to have some mental health uh, issues as well. It was, because being the doctor with all that alphabet soup right. after my name, I figured I knew how to avoid it. But I did have a long family history of depression. My mother was clinically depressed the entire time I was growing up. She was from another country, and so that didn't make it any easier on her to move to the United States. But my aunt and my grandmother had suffered from depression. I have Mm a long family history of anxiety. But I think, honestly, what was the most surprising wasn't experiencing the depression, per se, I experienced my first bout after the birth of my oldest son. Okay. I experienced terrible postpartum depression. And the interesting thing is you would think as the doctor that I would be able to pick up on that and diagnose that because I diagnosed it in so many patients, but it was actually my mother who brought it to my attention. She called one day after the baby was born and said, how are you? And I just started to cry. And she said, what's wrong with the baby? And I said, nothing. I don't know what's wrong. I mean, I would cry when a piece of paper would fly off the kitchen counter and land on the floor. Uh And the baby was perfectly fine. And she said, put your husband on the phone. So I (laughs) handed the phone to my husband and she said, Michelle's experiencing postpartum depression. Hang up with me right now and call her doctor. Wow. And she was so right. And I'm so grateful that she did because otherwise it would have lasted a lot longer. Yeah. But the most surprising thing for me was several years later when I did experience clinical depression, and I tried 
all the things mm -hmm. that I would normally recommend my patients to do. I made sure that I was getting enough rest. I made mm -hmm. sure that I was eating a nutritious diet. I was getting physical exercise. I went to therapy. I even tried medication. And all those things helped, but they weren't enough to take the depression away. And I just thought, I cannot go back to treating patients oh, wow. if I don't know what's really going to help them. Because I've been treating patients for a couple decades at that point. Right. And all those things did help. But it was like God whispered to my heart, if you are not willing to look at the spiritual aspects of disease, it's like putting a Band-Aid on an infection and expecting it to get well. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of like turned the light bulb on. Because in psychology, we're not allowed to bring up faith and religion unless the patient does, especially in neuropsychology because we deal with people's minds. Right. And so for so many patients, if they brought it up, we could go into that territory. But if they didn't, we didn't address the spiritual side in my office. Right. That has since changed. That is mostly what I talk about now because yeah. we cannot ignore the fact that depression and anxiety are medical illnesses. Mm -hmm. Just like heart disease, right. just like cancer. Our brain is our biggest organ. Right. But we also can't ignore that we have an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy from us. Exactly. Exactly. And we were talking before we started. I, I am positive that my time of clinical depression was spiritual warfare. And there's no doubt in my mind. So you, you talk about in your book spiritual weapons that we can use. But why is it important for you to understand what a person believes before you start treating them? Is that connected to their faith or is it more general than that? Part of it for me is recognizing that there's a spiritual truth and that is that our words have power. Yes. And our thoughts will frequently fuel our words and then our words will form habits. And so it's really important to understand where a person is coming from with respect to their faith and the belief system that they have. Some believe that they are in control of all things, whereas others recognize that there is a sovereign God who is in control but gives us free will. Right. And so we've got to know where is a person coming from but regardless of their faith system, we can still impart truth. Right. And that's where we can focus. How hard is it for you when you're dealing with a person that doesn't have faith, when you know that's part of what can fill that void? How hard is that for you personally to deal with that? I wouldn't call it so much hard as I would call it frustrating, mm -hmm. but I look at it as an opportunity. In my private practice, people didn't walk in and see white walls and you know a sterile office. The color of the walls was very calming. The woodwork was very calming. And more often than not, patients would come in regardless of their faith, regardless of their belief system and say, I don't understand why, but it's just so peaceful in here. And that in part was by design. Right. That's how we designed the office because I didn't want people coming in and just 
the very nature of coming into a neuropsychologist's office right. can kind of elevate your anxiety. So I wanted to do everything that we could calm it. But the other thing is that my staff would pray together every morning yeah. for the patients who were coming in. Yeah. So they didn't have to know why they felt at peace. But so often that would bring up opportunities to talk about, okay, where's your anxiety coming from? Where are you focusing your thoughts? What feelings are you acting on that might not be true? And so instead of looking at it as it was hard, it looked I looked at it in terms of it's an opportunity to minister and they may never know that they were ministered to. I love that. I absolutely love that. The Holy Spirit was there and they could feel it even if they didn't know they could feel it. That is awesome. Well, and the Bible says that, you know, some will be planters and some will be harvesters. Sure. And we never know necessarily which one we're going to be in which situation, but I always took it very seriously that my job was to at least plant seeds of truth. Yeah. Someone else might reap the harvest down the road and I might never know about it. Yeah. Well, I'm still responsible for doing my part. Right. I, I like to think when we get to heaven, we will know about it. <laughs> we so. get to. I think that'll be fun. To see yeah. The influence, but it also just that thought of that keeps me very mindful because right. I don't want to get to heaven mm-hmm. and have God show me all the people I could have invested in and I chose not to. Wow. I love that. So. In your book, you talk about a test that a teacher gave to the students. It was just a white sheet, a blank sheet of paper with a small black dot. Can you talk a little bit about that with our audience? Oh, this is one of my favorite illustrations. So the teacher had a room full of students, and before they came in, she had their test turned upside down on their desks. And she said... When I tell you to, I want you to turn over your test and work on it. Turn it in when you're done. Well, when they turned it over, it was exactly that. It was a blank sheet of white paper with a small black dot on it. And they were to write whatever they wanted to write about what they saw. And every single student wrote about the black dot. The size of it, the color of it, how it was dark. But nobody wrote about all the beautiful white space. And what that just illustrated is how easy it is to focus on the negative in life rather than all the positive. And I'm one who believes that more than anything, our mindset is so important. When I was in that valley of depression, in all honesty, I needed a reason to get up. face the day. It was hard. I was on medically induced bed rest and I needed a mindset that would carry me through the day. On those days when when you're so clinically depressed, sometimes all you want to do is sleep your life away. You don't want to face the day. And I was so depressed that little things like brushing my teeth or seeing my vitamins on my bathroom counter, I would look at them and just think, that's too much work. I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. Something as small as brushing my teeth. And one day, I remember God used a friend to speak a scripture over me. And it's a scripture that's 
probably familiar to all your listeners. It's although weeping may last for the night, his joy comes in the morning. And I wrote my very first Facebook post that started off, today is a good day because his joy comes in the morning. And what it showed me is that I've got to determine that despite my circumstances, today can still be a good day. In fact, that's my next book that's coming out. It's called Today is Going to Be a Good Day because our mindset is so important. And when we remember that as long as God is still on his throne and the fact that he has never broken a promise yet, (laughs) today is still a good day. Yeah, that's awesome. Today's going to be a good day. Yeah, I, I remember... I remember one day when I was in the middle of that and my boss was so great. I told him right away what was going on and he was just wonderful. And he said, or I called him, it was 10 o'clock and I said, okay, I've managed to get pants and a shirt on. I'm thinking about my socks. I'm hoping I'll be there in a couple of hours. And I, I remember saying those words and thinking, that's so dumb. But honestly, I couldn't get my socks on, not physically, I mentally was holding a sock in each hand, sitting on my bed, thinking you need to put your socks on, you need to put your socks on, and I couldn't make myself do it. I don't understand why, I don't know, you know, I, I don't understand any of that part of it, but I just remember thinking this, the, the little bit of logic that was left in my brain <laughs> said, yeah, you, you, you should be putting your socks on, and I just couldn't do it. It was very weird. Yeah, well, it was like that I couldn't make myself brush my teeth or take my vitamins. What people who have never experienced depression don't realize is that it's so overwhelming and Mm all-consuming that absolutely every task in the day seems hard. It just seems like too much. And part of that is mental warfare. We're, We're being bombarded with these negative messages. And we tend to listen to our feelings. But our feelings, while they're important to pay attention to, they are not dictators of our truth. Yeah, that's a hard one for me. (laughs) And it was a hard one for me for so many years in my career because I remember telling patients, your feelings are not good or bad, they just are. Yeah. And now I think, I would never say that. Now I take the time to walk people through what thought is prompting that feeling. Yeah. And is that thought a lie or is it the truth? So now I cringe because (laughs) there was a lot I didn't know in my early years in this profession. And I would change things now if I could go back. I really think, too, with this, you can't know if you haven't been there. I mean, there's all the science and all the things that, that you do know that are available, but until you've, you've lived it, you, you can't understand it. And, and I know for me personally, um, you know, I used to, people would say they were having an anxiety attack. I'm like, what, so you're nervous? I didn't understand it. And God was kind enough to bless me with those, <laughs> to teach me empathy. <laughs> and, and 
then, you know, I had a few of those over the years, not many, but then what started as extreme anxiety ended up as clinical depression. And so, and now I just, anytime anybody says, you know, they're worried about this or that, I, I can empathize, which is a beautiful gift. I don't love how I got here, but I wouldn't have been able to do it any other way. So. Well, that's the interesting thing is that when God gave me the opportunity to write Hope Prevails, when I was first offered the contract, I had not yet gone through that major depressive episode. Oh. And that book would have been very clinical and dry. But because I went through the depression and the Lord taught me so much in his graciousness during the writing of that book, uh-huh. it's a totally different book. And people have said to me that they found my book on Amazon and they read the reviews what the majority of the reviews say is she gets me you can tell she's been through it by how she writes the book and i just thank god for that because yeah that's not the same book it would have been had i not gone through it and did i enjoy going through it no yeah. and i never want to go through it again but i am at the place where i think wow god you gave me beauty for ashes right by bringing me through that, now I really do understand. Now I really do have empathy and compassion for people who struggle with depression or anxiety because I've been there. And I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Right. But hopefully, by sharing my story, it offers encouragement to others yeah. that, first of all, they're not alone. Right. And second of all, if a doctor who treats patients can go through it herself, why wouldn't any of us expect that? we could fall prey to that. Right. And there's no shame in that. Exactly. It is a medical disorder. Exactly. Just like cancer or diabetes. Yeah. There's no shame in it. The problem is, is that people who've not been through it tend to perpetuate the stigma. Right. And then we've got the enemy of our soul who loves to pour on shame. Right. But so thankfully, God says, no, 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 no. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That right. shame, that is not yours. Take that off. Right. That's awesome. So you talk a lot about spiritual weapons. So how can we use those spiritual weapons to combat our anxiety and depression? You know, one of the biggest things in our arsenal comes from that scripture that says to take every thought captive and bring it to obedience in Christ Jesus. Now, I'd heard that scripture probably a thousand times before I had to practice it and realize, oh, this is why it's so important. So as a neuropsychologist, I can tell you, we we experience somewhere between 50 and 70,000 thoughts a day. And the Bible tells us to take every thought active. That's a lot of work. And I remember when I was in the midst of it, I was like, Lord, this is too much work. I can't do it. Yeah. But the idea is that we do need to pay attention to what we're thinking. Because scripture also says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I mean, we really do wrestle against powers of darkness and evil. Right that seek to take us down, to steal and kill and destroy. When it comes to depression, the enemy wants to steal your peace, Mm -hmm. 
can kill your joy right. and destroy your identity. But I'm so thankful that the other part of that verse is that Jesus says, but I have come that not may might have life and have it to the full. So that one of the most important things we can do is slow down and go, wait a minute, where's that thought coming from? Yeah. Let me give you an example. I was I was at a speaking engagement once and I I can speak, I can write, but I'm not terribly tech savvy. And a friend was helping me with PowerPoint slides. And she said, well, I just need to know what it is that you're trying to communicate. And I, sitting there at my dining room table, said, I don't know, I'm just so stupid. And my 12-year-old son, who had heard me preach and teach, said, only if you believe that, Mom. That's not what God says. Oh, wow. And he was right. And I realized... I hadn't taken that thought captive. I just ran with it like, yeah, I'm just so stupid. But what God says is that I've been given the mind of Christ. What God says is that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God says I'm the apple of his eye. I'm not stupid. I just needed to slow down (laughs) and think about what it was I was trying to communicate. But that is an example of just how quickly mm-hmm. thoughts come into our mind and if they're unchecked we will believe them and build upon it yeah it's it is funny how quickly that can can come in and get you for sure <laughs> you talk a little bit about self-esteem and god esteem do you want to expand on that a little bit i do because there is a lot in po- popular culture that mm-hmm. talks about self-esteem and how we have to build our self-esteem. Right. And what I tell people is that that is so off base because we can't. There's nothing we can really do that's gonna make us more important, that's gonna make us more valuable, that's gonna make us more worthy because our value is based on well, the value of anything is based on the price that we would pay for it. So the value of your house is what you'd be willing to pay for it, or the value of a car or a meal at a restaurant. So my value is based on the price that Jesus paid for me. Right. He died on the cross to save me, to say, you are so worthy. If you were the only person, I would die for you. And no one before and no one since has ever been willing to do that for me. So he's the only one who can tell me about my work. So it's not my self-esteem. It's how God esteems me. Because he loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. What a beautiful rest in that. There's so much peace in that to know that I don't have to make myself better than I already am. That's a relief. And don't you feel like, you know, as you were talking about, you were asked to write the book, Hope Prevails, and had not gone through that, and then God blessed you with the opportunity to go through that that time, and it completely changed the book, because he knew you were the one who needed to put, put those words, those unique words to you out into the world, but he needed you to go through something, and that's just almost like the promise of all that. You are esteemed by God, and I will give you what you need whatever it is to meet the purpose that I have for you and that's what that's one of the things I love about your story is you know you are a neuropsychologist which is a 
big deal. And God can still use things that you don't want to do or hadn't thought about to take that big degree and reach the people that he needs you that he needs for you to reach. And I just I love that we have a God like that. Because I'm very much an experiential writer, which means that I really don't write about anything that I haven't gone through. Yeah. Now, the hard part about that is sometimes God will ask you to go through things that you don't want to go through. Right. But I would rather be obedient Mm -hmm. than to get my way. He has me writing a book on pain now. I've never been in worse pain in my life than when I agreed to write a book on knowing God through pain. Right. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how <laughs> God's going to shine through this one. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. We even had to. <laughs> yeah. We even had to postpone our interview because you were you were doing so poorly. And you also shared before we went on the air that when when your second book came out, yeah, when Breaking Anxiety's Grip came out, that your the day that it was coming out, your husband was diagnosed with cancer. He's giving you lots of things to write about in the realm of hope. (laughs) He is. And, you know, that's the interesting thing is I'll never forget when he gave me the title Hope Prevails. I was at a writer's conference and the teacher of one of the workshops said, I want you to just go take 10 minutes and pray and and ask God to, to speak with you. And I did. And the only thing I heard and I've never heard God in an audible voice, but the only thing that I sensed in my heart was two words, hope prevails. And I just thought, oh God, that's so sweet. Of course it does. (laughs) I didn't realize that that was going to become a book down the road. And now it's become my life motto. Right, right. As long as God's on his throne, Hope does prevail. Right. As long as you were given breath today, God still has a purpose for you today. And he will always be on his throne. That is a promise he has given us. So, Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences, both in your books and with us here today. I always ask my guests two questions at the end. The first one is, what is bringing you joy right now? One of the things that I challenge myself to do every day is to look for what I call simple joys. The things that God places in our path that we have to be intentional to see. So right now it's winter time, but I planted about a thousand bulbs last fall. And I'm just now seeing the first inch of the bulbs come up out of the ground. And I get so excited every day I go and I check on the uh-huh. bulb babies to see how they're doing because it's a reminder to me that we all go through the winter season in life mm-hmm. but spring is coming it i is. get really excited for spring because i'm ready for all that brown nasty stuff to go away <laughs> and the green to start coming out so i'd have to say that's probably one of the things that brings me the greatest joy right now is just walking around and seeing what god's doing to refresh us for a new season a new hope yes that's awesome and then the second thing i ask is what are you reading right now ah Right now, I'm reading a book by Elizabeth Elliot, and I can't remember the exact title, but I think it's called um, Purpose in Suffering, and she is a wise, wise woman. She went through so much and lost her husband, and if anyone could talk on suffering, yeah, it would be her. So I'm gleaning from 
her wisdom. I'm gleaning from her winter experiences mm-hmm. to see how spring came out for her. That's awesome. She's so good. I love her. Thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing your story. It has been a pleasure to talk to you and a joy to spend time with you. I appreciate it. It was an absolute privilege to be able to interview Dr. Bengston, and I so enjoyed her story, and I related to it a lot, and I think we can all relate to pieces of her story, and I think that's one of the things that makes it so great. Next week, we are going to be talking to Jenny Brandt, who is the author of Unleash Your God-Given Healing, Eight Steps to Prevent and Survive Cancer. She is a cancer survivor. She has written this book through the things that she has researched and learned through her own cancer walk, but she did this with a doctor, and her story is a great one that you will want to hear as well. Until next week, this is the In the Whisper podcast, and I'm Nita Wilkinson.